Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back into the second hour of Sports Talk. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak kicking off the 5 o'clock hour. Unfortunately, the LSU Tigers we found went down their first loss of the season. Tigers now five and one, falling to Stony Brook. Good old Stony Brook. Oh, always good to upset the Tigers, huh? Uh, end up losing five to two. Uh, LSU ending up zero and five with runners in scoring position. They also hit into two, two double plays, top of the order, going two for fourteen. So uh, the Stony Brook Stony Brook pitching had the Tigers number today. The the perfect season is dead. <laughs> That's all right. We got a. Bunch more to go. We have, still haven't got into the SEC play yet. I know uh, Tiger fans will be mad, but uh, Cullen pointed this out while we we're in the break. Guess what? The Tigers went five and zero last season and then lost the game. So they're going to win a title. There you go. Repeat exactly yeah. exactly what happened last year. We'll duplicate. No, I do think that the the offense is going to be interesting because, like last year with Dylan Cruz, <laughs> you just knew that you know if you gave him enough times, he was going to you know he's going to do something. Him and Tommy White. Uh, I don't know if that the offense is going to be as dynamic this year, and I don't know if the pitching staff is going to be as locked down. I think it's going to be more of a more of a slog this year, um, and and I think this game was kind of indicative of that. But you know, it, it is easy to get caught up. It's like, oh, it's a loss in the first five games. Like, man, this is a long season, uh, and there's going to be losses. I'm getting to the box score. I know Thatcher Hurd did have a rough day. I uh, had mentioned it earlier. Uh, four and a third innings, six hits, three earned runs, four walks, eight strikeouts. Uh, 23 batters faced, had 95 total pitches. Uh, his ERA now at 9.00 on the season. So Thatcher needs to tighten things up, especially as we get closer to SEC play. But I think we talked about this too. Not so sure he's going to be the Tigers Friday night guy. No, I think probably Holman uh, in the end is going to end up being the Friday night guy. But yeah, I mean, this is the same thing you saw from Thatcher last year. He had a right. he, he pitched well, but he had a few games where it just got away from him, and he ended up with like a five plus ERA at the end of the season, even though he pitched reasonably well, and as particularly in Omaha, he pitched well. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, again, like you said, I think it's probably just he's a good pitcher. He's a, he's gonna he's going to be a consistent, important piece of this Tigers rotation. Again, I just don't think he's a Friday night guy, and you're going to make that change pretty soon. But, but, but again, this isn't really your Friday night. When you're talking about your Friday night starter, I think you're talking more SEC play. Like right now, you're not really that much. Like how much different is Friday versus Saturday? Once you're facing Arkansas and, and Florida, then you're like, okay, yeah, we need, to, we need to do a bit better. We'll see what happens with the Tigers there. Jay Johnson's definitely got a much 
robust pitching staff this season. But, yeah, you mentioned uh, with, the, with the bats, though, they're the biggest question mark, I think, for the Tigers. I think they have, like, 13 left-handed pitchers or something <laughs> like that, which is insane. I didn't know there were that many left-handed pitchers in Louisiana. But, hey, we got them. We got them all. Um, we should we should answer. Uh, we did push violation, whatever his name was. The violation of Violet. There you go. That's right. We were getting into the Jameis Winston question on if he will be back as the backup for next season. Yeah, I think the the question was more just like who's going to be the backup, right? Like I think that's kind of where you're getting to. Whether it's Jameis, whether it's Jake Hayner, whether it's you know option number B or option <laughs> option option field, right? Um, you know, Mister Outside Hire. I, I would guess it's Jake Hayner. Um, I think you know. Uh, Kyle Mosley talked to Jameis at the uh, Legacy HBCU, Bowl, right? right? And you know he 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 said the same thing he said earlier this past season, which is he still believes he can be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think the difference this year is he wants to go somewhere that he will actually get a chance to compete for that job. Will he listen to the head coach when he tells him to you know calls a play? I'd hope so. Right. Yeah. So I, that's why I don't think Jameis is coming back here uh, because. Yeah. Of, and I know, you, you know, that's been talked about and we've kind of thrown it under the rug, whatever you want to say uh, about it. But to me, that definitely cinched it that Jameis would not be back when you were supposed to just take a knee on the final play against the Falcons. It's definitely not a good – it's definitely not going to help. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Uh, and, and, I mean, so it, there's two there's two sides of the equation. One, the Saints would have to want him back and Jameis would have to want to come back. So uh, if either side of those you say no – then it doesn't matter what the other side says. He's right? like the team hype man right now. Well, I mean, he's a good teammate. I think he enjoys it here. I think he likes New Orleans, right? That said, if he wants to compete to be a starting quarterback, if he truly wants that, he's not going to get to do that here. I think that has been made clear, right? Uh, you know, like the, there was never a question last year whether he was going to be the starting quarterback. I'm pretty sure if it came down to it, they would have put Jake Hayner in. It, rather than start him if it came down to, like, the final three games, if Derek Carr got hurt or whatever, I think he would have gone to Jake Hayner. I, I just don't think that he's he was ever going to be the starting quarterback. So I think he's going to leave, right? And so the question beyond that is, do you say, okay, Jake, this is your job, or do you bring someone in and have that be a competition? I think that's the route you would go, whether you draft a guy, which I think there's a chance you draft a guy if, if maybe there's someone who drops to 45 or drops to the end of the first round. And you feel like, hey, we really like this guy. Because this year's draft class is very, very strong at the quarterback position. Next year's is not. So I think you're going to see some teams, and that includes the Saints, possibly be a little bit more aggressive than you might otherwise because you don't see that option next year. And and you're talking about Derek Carr. Even if you're committed to Derek Carr, he's no spring chicken here. <laughs> you know, you're, you're getting into your mid-30s. Even if you feel like this is a guy for the next couple of years, you still got to figure something out in terms of your succession plan there. So I wouldn't be surprised if you draft a guy or if not, you know, a guy you brought up on the podcast uh, this week was right, Sam that, Darnold. That's what I was say. I'm interested to find out what his relationship was like with Kubiak, obviously. Yeah, I think he would make a lot of sense. And I think someone like Sam Darnold would make sense if you don't draft a quarterback. By the way, you mentioned podcast. Which podcast is that? It's called Inside Black and Gold. Have you ever heard of it? Hmm, where could I find it? Anywhere. It's everywhere you get your podcast. This is a is an impromptu commercial, but no, I, I mean, yeah. So like a guy like Sam Darnold, right? Like like there's options like that that you would bring in because I don't think you're going to go into camp with just Derek Carr and Jake Hayner. Totally agree, right? You, and Taysom Hill because I know he, yeah. you're not considering him in that QB mix. No, he's not. He's not in that mix. Um, he's an important player. He's going to have a huge role, right? But he's not in that mix for quarterback. So 
I think, yeah, I think either you draft a quarterback or you sign a quarterback. Heck, maybe both. But you're, you're, I don't think Jameis is going to be part of that equation. Speaking of Jameis, we're going to go to James and Metairie talking about these Saints draft picks. What you got for us, James? Hey, guys, listen, I still want to get into that third round. Uh, you know, we got two players in the top 50. Uh, I'm hopeful, you know, that we could do something. And, and uh, maybe you guys disagree with me, but I don't think given the type of lineman that they're looking for, that well, first of all, Trevor's not going to play guard. He's not going to play guard, not in this offense. They want a guy that's more mobile than he is, I would think. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be the right tackle now. I mean, the left tackle. So um, what about, you know, possibly, let's, let's think about Andrew Reed. You know, they won, the, they won the title again with Donovan Smith, of all people, uh, who was, you know, just not even a roadblock with Cam when he was at Tampa and some other guys on the team. So he, he pretty much thinks, I mean, you know, Donovan Smith, you know, we could use, they could use another running back over there. I, I'm saying, you know, what do you think some of these playoff teams, or specifically Kansas City in terms of the lineman, would do with Trevor? Maybe they'll give up a third rounder, you know, for Trevor? Because I don't think he's going to make it here. Now, I know Loomis, everybody has pride. You know, you know, you're talking about, you know, a guy that won seven division titles uh, as the GM here. He's got a winning percentage. He's probably, you know, ranked right up there, probably number one in terms of GMs with his history. He's been there since 2002. So I get all of that. But I, I like to see him humble himself and just admit that this guy stinks. He's not going to play left tackle, at least in this system. Or he's not, maybe he'll play, but he won't be, you know, what they wanted him to be when they drafted. Uh, and I don't think he's going to be a guard either, not in this system. You know, but maybe in somebody else's system like Andy Reid, who's got a superstar quarterback, you know, I mean, you, you think that might work. You'll give up a pick for a guy like that. They'll think he still has potential. And as far as AK goes, he's 29 right now. I mean, he'll be 29 at least when the season starts, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's time It's time to break up the party and, and get what you can get from because I, I really believe I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the – you know, the Patriots, when it comes to you want to get rid of a guy before, you know, you know the, all the sand runs out the clock where you can get something for him. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? With Penning, I just don't know what is any team going to give the Saints right now when he has proven absolutely bubkiss. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't uh, – it's like you bought a stock and it immediately dropped and you sold it because you got like – you know, that's not how – that's just not sensible to do. And I think this team is still hopeful that they can develop Trevor. You'd be lucky to get a seventh-round pick for him. Nah, I mean, you could probably get something. But at the same time, it's like what what is what are you going to benefit from that? I, I don't see it. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. And I, and I don't think this team is out on Trevor Penning. James has never liked Trevor Penning. So I'm – yeah, this, you've been saying this. Well, I, I, it's hard for the fans right now because the Saints invested a first-round pick in this guy, and we really just haven't seen him do anything. Yeah, but I do think that um, you brought in a new offensive line coach, and you're going to hope that right. There's, uh, there's a lot of hope. Something there that <laughs> resonates a little bit better because I just don't think you were getting the the what you needed to get out of him with Doug Marone. I just don't. So I'm hopeful that with John and you, you can get more out of him. I, I don't, and I don't think that this system is is ill suited for Trevor. I don't, I don't know what, where you're getting that. Like, there's keeps people people keep coming back to this idea that he's not athletic enough, and it's like he's plenty athletic. It's footwork. It is it is technique. 
But it's not a matter of, oh, he can't get out wide for these wide zone blocks. Yes, he can. He's just got to be better at it. So, no, I don't I don't think you're giving up on Trevor. I don't think you're trading Trevor. Um, and I think you were still hopeful that he can be your left tackle. Now, uh, with Alvin, I agree. I think that you need to be careful with what you're doing with Alvin. Now, I don't think you're trading Alvin mainly because you're not going to – there's really no the cap hit you take too, right? And Yeah, exactly. And so – what I would say with Alvin is this year you are going to run it back with Alvin, and I feel okay about that. Like, I don't think what you've seen from Alvin has been a major decline. I just think the system did not work for him, and you did not do things that best suited Alvin. Now, I don't want to mess with his contract. We're going to talk about restructures, or we have talked about restructures. And to me, that's the play this year. He's 28, going on 29. He'll be 29 in July. Now, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with having Alvin be your lead back and having Kendra Miller kind of be that counterpunch, right? Right. But I don't want to touch his contract. I want to be able to go into 2025 with a lot more flexibility. You restructured him last year. So your options this year in terms of cap savings are not good. <laughs> like you're not gaining that much, maybe a million or two. And if you go past June, you can spread it out. But it doesn't make sense. That said, if I don't restructure him this year, which – Alvin Kamara, Ryan Ramchuk are the two contracts I don't want to restructure under any circumstances because that will allow you to play with use Alvin this year and have him be a key part of this offense. And then based on how this year goes, you go to 2025 and you can make the best determination there. Maybe you trade him, maybe you move on. Or maybe you bring him back. But one way or another, I think that's the year where you're going to be making a lot of these decisions. We're going to take a break when we get back from it. Get into our interview with Matt Miller, ESPN NFL insider and draft analyst, NFL Combine. Coming up next week, folks, we'll be right back with more on WWL after this. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back into Sports Talk here on WWL. Happy to welcome into the NFL radio huddle ESPN draft analyst and insider Matt Miller. Matt, how you doing? And thank you for the time. Guys, I'm doing great. It's it's draft season. So, of course, <laughs> I'm in a good mood. So it's great to be uh, hanging out with you guys today. Obviously, we are knee deep in mock draft season and looking at yours at pick number 14 with the Saints. going to go there right away since we are in black and gold country. Uh, you've got them taking tight end Brock Bowers, which would be an awesome upgrade at the tight end position. Uh, just what have you seen out of the Georgia prospect heading into the combine? Oh, my gosh. He's he's close to perfect as a tight end prospect. And I'll say this. Uh, he is a top 10 player in this draft, but because of positional value is available at this spot for the Saints. And I, I did look at this as a best player available type pick uh, with the quarterbacks off the board. So that's a, a big part of that equation. But Bowers is a player I've compared him to George Kittle. I think that's the type of weapon you're getting offensively. 
maybe not as accomplished as a blocker as Kittle is right now, but certainly has the ability to get better. He's strong. But, I mean, as a pass catcher, he's so versatile. And even at times for Georgia, he's running the ball to the backfield. I mean, he's just such a, a dynamic asset in the in the offense. So he is someone that, you know, with changes offensively, I think there's going to be a need for that number two option in the passing game. And, and for me, Bowers can be that guy. I think that's an interesting point is like the position of value. Because, you know, as you mentioned, so there's all these star tight ends in the NFL, but you look around, you're like a, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, none of these guys were first-round picks. I guess how do you kind of weigh that when you have, like, okay, this is a generational-type tight end prospect, but at the same time, the value might not be there. And you look at it kind of similar to running backs where it's like, yeah, Saquon Barkley has been a star, but has he been good enough to justify taking him number two overall, right? Kyle Pitts, for example, with the Falcons. I'm just curious, how do you kind of evaluate that when you look at a guy like Brock? I think the nice thing about Brock, as opposed to someone, you know, like, and I know Saints fans know Kyle Pitts. Well, you play him twice a year. Uh, Brock is able to play in line. He's able to block. He's able to help in the run game. Whereas, you know, Kyle Pitts is a, he's a big wide receiver, basically. And that's not a knock on him. There's a, there's value in that. And you look at his rookie year and there's value in that. I think the difference is Kyle Pitts is a player you have to scheme for. Brock Bowers is not. He, to me, is more in the mold of someone like Sam Laporta, uh, who was, you know, picked 34 last year, goes to the Lions has a huge impact. Uh, he's, you know, someone a little bit more like TJ Hawkinson or in that Kittle mold of they're going to be on the field every down. And by virtue of their ability, you can move them around, but you don't have to put them in the slot. You don't have to get them in motion. They're a tight end that you can run your offense through. I don't want to compare anyone to Travis Kelsey because I think he's in kind of a tier by himself, what he's done the last 11, 12 years, but it's that idea. And I think that's why, even last year, we saw so many tight ends drafted in the first 100 picks we saw eight of them or nine maybe in the first hundred last year uh, because teams are saying now well we can run our offense through the middle of the field you know with timing based offense with option routes we've got quarterbacks who can move now so I, I think Bowers does fit that that mold of we're rethinking the tight end position to where it it is still valuable I think you know you can look at can look at what they're being paid tight ends are not as valuable as wide receivers based on how they're being paid but you know we saw four teams in the championship conference championship games who you could make an argument. Their tight end is one of their most important assets in the passing game. Protecting Derek Carr, obviously a big issue last season and something the saints are going to need to upgrade either through the draft or free agency. And I know this tackle class is chock full of some stud talent, maybe the one of the best position groups in this year's draft. Do you see something that could shake out for the Saints in this draft in the early rounds where they could end up picking someone there. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, they gave up 35 sacks last year, so it's got to give, you know. And unfortunately, the Trevor Penning pick has not panned right. out uh, the way, you know, that you spend a first-round pick on a guy, you're hoping he's a, a foundational piece. So I think so, yes. Um, long story short, what's interesting about this tackle class is there are two guys, and they're going to go really early, Joe All and Olu Fashano. They're going to go top seven picks probably. After that, there's a lot of good tackles, but they're all right tackles. And obviously, Ryan Remchek's a pretty dang good right tackle. So you get into this conversation of, can we move a guy over? Can we move uh, Talise Fuaga from Oregon State, can, who's a great right tackle? Can he flip sides? Or Amarius Mims from Georgia, who only started eight games in college, but I would say those eight games are as good a tape as any tackle in this class. Can he move? Could Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma make the move to left tackle? We saw him do that a little bit at the Senior Bowl. So because I think the need is more, I would argue, more specific to that left side, you start to look at the first round and say, 
you know, would we be better with a Brock Bowers? Would we be better with a, if one of the wide receivers falls? And then we get into you know, later rounds looking at where's their good value with the left tackles. Someone like Patrick Paul from Houston, I think is a really good option. He could be there at 45. Someone who had, you know, six foot seven, really good mover. So not that first round pick, which we all want left tackles to be first round picks because you find such great uh, players in that range. But I think round two this year is a spot where having that 45th pick is going to be really important that maybe you're finding your left tackle a little bit later. You know, those first round grades, I know you wrote about this recently where I think you said that you had 15 players or so with with first round grades. And I think it is interesting because when you draft where the Saints are, you're at number 14. So it's like if you have 15 players with first round grades, you can guarantee you get one of those players. Yeah. But is it one of the players out of position of need? And and I think that's where you you run into this ideology of like every team will probably say, hey, we're going to take the best player available. But a lot of time it's, hey, we'll take the best player available out of position we need. Right. You're not right. necessarily right. fully in that in that mode. So I guess when you when you are looking at the board at number 14, do you have to be willing to just kind of let it come to you and 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 go by your board or how do you, how do you look at that from a philosophical standpoint? I'm a big believer in best player available at a position of need. You know, I don't, okay. if the best player available is a fullback, you don't, you're not drafting, right? <laughs> it's like, you might have a, you might have a perfect grade on a guard. I'm, I'm one of like, drafting a guard in the first round. It's hard for me just because of the positional value, you know, and, and the numbers say you can find a pretty good guard outside the first round. So I think you have to look at those core positions, quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle on offense pass rusher or a corner on defense is really where we're going to see a lot of the first round picks go. And I, I think for the saints at 14, we're probably going to see four quarterbacks off the board. We're probably going to see three wide receivers off the board. And I think there's a good chance we're going to see three offensive tackles off the board. So like you're eliminating a lot of those premium positions, but the good news is, you know, one of the top corners could be there. One of the top pass rushers could be there. And if, even if you're not in a position to take one of them, it is going to give you a lot of good trade back opportunities. So, you know, I wouldn't advocate for some of the massive round one trades we've seen the Saints do in the past, but, you know, maybe you kick back three or four spots and get a little extra draft capital. And then you're more in the neighborhood of where you want to be for uh, one of those tackles that you're going to have to move or, you know, maybe maybe the first guard comes off the board in the 20s. I think that's a more comfortable spot than 14 when you add in the, the extra draft capital that you would get from the trade back. ESPN draft analyst insider Matt Miller joining us here. And I love the fact in your mock draft, you got quarterbacks going one, two, three. I've seen some mocks having a guy like Jaden Daniels falling out the top five. And that just doesn't make sense to me. I was wondering what it is about Daniels game that uh, some folks are still convinced about. Yeah, I don't know what people are waiting for uh, on a player. We've watched him play in college football for five years. I mean, you've seen it all, you know. And so, I man, I don't see a way that, that he falls out. I, I, In fact, I think if the Patriots don't draft a quarterback at three, they would trade that pick, knowing that, you know, the Giants or the Vikings or the Saints or the Raiders, like someone is going to need that that third quarterback and, and value them really highly. So, I think with Jaden, people get stuck in their – early perceptions of players. And I'll admit, this is hard to overcome sometimes. You watch a player as a freshman, you watch players as a sophomore. Sometimes you get stuck in that, good or bad. You know, a guy like Sam Howell played pretty well early in his career, kind of nosedive at the end, but you get stuck in those perceptions. And I think for Jaden, people are stuck in Arizona State. Instead of looking at what he did the last two years at LSU and actually giving him the credit for what he did the last two years at LSU, it's easy to say, oh, but the wide receivers. Well, C.J. Stratt had good wide receivers at Ohio State. He's doing just fine. Joe Burrow had great wide receivers at LSU. He's doing just fine. So I think that's where you have to be a nuanced evaluator to be able to take Jaden, look at the throws, 
and not pay attention to that it's Malik Neighbors or Brian Thomas Jr. You gotta you gotta grade the throw. And the same thing for him as a runner. Guy had 1,200 yards rushing in the SEC. That is not easy to do at the quarterback position. So I think it's just a matter of giving him credit where credit is due. And, and some people are going to be late on that. I'm a huge fan of his game. You know, he's a, a top five player for me. And I, I think, you know, he's a rookie starter that could really change an offense if someone lets him loose a little bit. Yeah, we're hoping here that the Falcons don't end up trading up to get him. <laughs> yeah, that's tough, right? <laughs> or you want to you root for the guy all through his career. But, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's a lot of teams, not just Atlanta. There's a lot of teams that are going to be aggressive about finding that quarterback because, not to get too far ahead, but, you know, next year's quarterback class doesn't have that guy in it. There's not a Trevor Lawrence. There's not a Caleb Williams. There's not someone that we know of right now that is that surefire number one pick going back to college. So I think we're going to see teams be aggressive for the Jaden Daniels and J.J. McCarthy's in this class. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually my next question because, yeah, the, the 2025 class right now sure, certainly doesn't look any – it looks a lot closer to the 2021 class where I'm not sure there was a first-round pick in it. The Steelers obviously went and got Kenny Pickett. I, I don't think he was a first-round pick talent, but whatever. Obviously, the top the top three guys are are kind of ironclad in terms of these guys are going in the top half of the first round, even if Jaden falls. He's not falling that far. But as you get further down the board and you look at guys like Knicks – Penix, McCarthy, you know, do you see teams even like teams trading up maybe into the back end of the first just because you look at it and you're like, we probably aren't going to have this opportunity next year to go get a guy. If if this is the guy we like and he's there now, we have to go do it. I'm just curious, do you think that there is going to be a little more urgency from some of these teams that aren't in those kind of prime positions to either pick a quarterback or trade into the top half to go get a guy maybe in the 20s if he falls there. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, I think McCarthy, there's so much buzz about McCarthy being a top 10 to 15 pick. I'll be surprised if he gets out of the top 15. So then it's like, okay, how comfortable are you with Bo Nix? You know, especially right ahead of, of the Saints. You've got Minnesota, Denver, and Las Vegas. Those are all quarterback needy teams. And so if you, you know, say, okay, we're not going to go the quarterback this year, we're going to wait as the Saints. This is kind of good news for you because the more good players are going to get pushed down you as teams go quarterback. But I do think that, you know, there's going to be pressure on teams to say, hey, okay, we got to get a guy this year because of, you know, Carson Beck, Quinn Ewers, Shador Sanders. They're not, they're not bad players in any way. We could be talking about them very highly a year from now, but they're not the guys that you're getting super excited about as prospects right now. So I do think that they're, if we see a Bo Nix slip to the twenties, and it's one of those teams that didn't get a quarterback in the top three, do you try to come back up? If you're the New York Giants and you miss out on the big three uh, at pick six, do you try to move up from 39? I, I think, you know, the Washington Commanders, if they decide not to at two for some reason, well, they pick again at 40 uh, and 36, so they could potentially trade back up. But uh, I do think we're going to see, as it looks right now, free agency could change everything, but as it looks right now, there are a lot more teams that need quarterbacks than have them, and so those first five should come off the board pretty quickly. Checking out the Saints pick in your uh, the second round of your mock draft. Really like the pick. Jeff, you got to see Xavier Legette out at the Senior Bowl. Uh, seems like a perfect replacement for a guy like Michael Thomas, who I don't think anyone is expecting back with the black and gold. Yeah, and powerful. Kind of like Thomas in that mold of like he's just going to physically overpower you to get to the ball. Uh, didn't run as well in person as I expected. Um, I was a little surprised by that. But he does on tape show run after catch ability. And he has speed. You know, there are moves on his tape where he is, you know, putting a shoulder on a guy and then breaking away for a long run. So that ability there, when you have a Chris Olave, you can go with, I think, a more physical option opposite him, somebody that is going to be your 
you know, a little bit of your power forward type wide receiver. And that's what, that's who Leggett is. So again, trying to build out this team with, that has a, a decent amount of needs and perpetual salary cap problems. I really went into this thinking like, how can you turn something into a strength? You got an offense that was productive last year. It was the number nine ranked offense in the NFL last year based on points. So how can you turn something into a strength? Showing up the offensive line definitely is, is in mind, but getting Bowers and Leggett, getting big body pass catchers that have run up for catchability could really open things up. Sharp pivot here, but this is something I've been wondering about because, you know, I think when you're a team that's looking for kind of a a nickel corner prospect in the draft, I think there's a disconnect between at times, okay, you played a ton in the slot in college versus you profile to the slot at the NFL level. Like a guy like Mike Sanders, he played a ton of the slot in college. But a lot of times it's like, yeah, you're the best, you're the NFL prospect. You're going to be put in the most premium position, which isn't always in the slot. So I'm curious if there are any either safety cornerback prospects that you love in terms of transitioning to being a slot corner in the NFL as you kind of go through maybe the first three rounds of, of this draft? Yeah, I'd say Andrew Still is definitely one of them. Uh, Andrew Phillips at Kentucky is another one that I think fits that mold, and he'll probably be like a early third-round pick, but he had a great senior bowl week. I mean, his, his instincts, his closing ability, like they scream inside player to me, but he's tough enough to play inside. Uh, 5'10", 190 pounds is, is the reason that he's probably looked at as an inside guy as opposed to an outside because all the skill set's there. So he definitely fits that mold. Uh, Jeremy Jones from Florida State, a little bit of a not late round, but later, probably around five. Uh, another guy that I think fits that mold of just going to be a really, really good nickel for a long time. And mm. there's so much value in that that uh, that he definitely fits that, that group as well. I know, I know you already put your mock draft out, but if you're looking at this top three quarterback group do you think that Caleb Williams is truly head and shoulders above these other two guys or is this a little bit it it seems like you you get in these situations where it's a ton of hype and you we've been talking about Caleb Williams for so long but then you you kind of look I feel like kind of like you get in that Bryce Young CJ Stroud scenario where it's like people were in love with Bryce Young and then they never really looked long enough at CJ Stroud at least the Panthers didn't so I'm curious where you land on that do you think that is Caleb Williams this generational prospect that that people have become convinced that he is, or is there, is there a little bit more work there than, than people are admitting? So I think both, uh, and I know that might sound like a hedge. I think he is a really rare, unique quarterback prospect, and he's the best prospect I've seen since Andrew Luck. And I was like Joe Burrow's fan club outside of the state of Louisiana. Like I was, I was the biggest Burrow guy. So uh, that's saying that with all due respect toward Joe. I think also there are things that Caleb will have to work at. You know, there were a lot of fumbles, uh, and he's going to have to clean that up. I think he got into this weird habit of knowing the team around him wasn't very good, and it was like, man, I better make something happen here, or if our defense has to do this, we're going to lose, which is what happened a lot this year. So he's going to have to get some of those bad habits out of his game where he did truly think, I got to put everything on my back. I got to make, you know, crazy plays so often. And that's where some of the, the bad moments came over, but that was a historically bad USC defense. And I think a lot of people are probably just watching, you know, the Caleb Williams clips, which is important to do, but you got to remember like their defense is giving up like 36 points a game. So he's trying to do a lot to keep them in games that that led to some of the decisions where people want to pull a clip on Twitter and say, that'll never work in the NFL. It's like, well, we don't want him to do that in the NFL. Hopefully his defense can keep people under 24 and maybe he'll have a fighting chance week in, week out. But I do think he's a really good prospect. And that's not to take anything away from Jaden or from Drake May or any of the other quarterbacks in this class. You know, they are very deserving of being a a top two or top three pick. And in most classes, I think Jaden Daniels would be a number one quarterback. So would Drake May. So those guys deserve 
all the accolades as well. You know, saying Caleb is great shouldn't shouldn't take away from how good Drake or Jaden will be. ESPN's Matt Miller, thank you again. Definitely looking forward to more of your stuff coming out with the uh, NFL Combine cranking up next week. You bet, guys. Thanks so much. That was NFL draft analyst and insider for ESPN, Matt Miller. Great stuff from him. Uh, we'll be back with more sports talk right after this. Good conversation we just had with ESPN NFL insider and draft analyst Matt Miller there. Time to get now into triple option where we give our takes on today's top stories or the top stories in sports right now. Uh, Going to hit up Jeff Nowak. What you got for us? Oh, I'm first. You are first. So exciting. So, okay, you know, my, my take, you know, we talked a lot about salary cap restructures, whatever. Um, the name that keeps coming up that people are like, please don't restructure this guy, is Cam Jordan. And and I, I have a different take. I think, A, you're going to restructure Cam Jordan, first of all. <laughs> and B, I don't see it as an issue. And, and the reason I say that is because when you're looking at who you want to restructure versus who you don't, you're looking at guys who, A, might not be here in 2025, might retire might do whatever, might not be able to play, right? And so that's like you're looking at Ryan Ramchick, you know, Alvin Kamara, who's older and at a position that typically doesn't age that well. Whereas you're looking at Cam Jordan and you're saying, A, we can save a significant amount against the cap by restructuring him. We could either restructure Cam or restructure two contracts to get to that $9.4 million that you would be moving. And so, hey, I'm okay with that. The next question is, okay, are they in your plans for 2025? Is this guy going to retire? Are you going to cut him? Are you going to trade him? The answer to all three of those questions is no. Cam has no plans to retire prior to year 15. He said that outright. You know that. He just signed that extension. And you're not cutting Cam. You're not trading him. He is a lifer. He is an important piece to this locker room. So, you know, when you're looking at it, you're saying it's not about, oh, he's a veteran guy. He's, he's not what he once was. That money is, is spent. You're paying him either way. So the question is, what makes the most sense? And if the options on the table are restructure Cam or restructure Alvin Kamara, I'm restructuring Cam. If the options are restructure Cam, restructure Taysom and Tyron, I'm restructuring Cam, right? I think you have to look at it in, as, as the bigger picture and say, what's, if, you're, if you have to accept an anchor on your salary cap, what is the most attractive anchor? And if it's a guy who I know is not planning to retire, I know I have no intention of cutting or trading, then it just makes sense. And you will worry about 2025 when you get to the end of 2024. But to me, I think restructuring Cam, while it might not seem like the most sensible decision based on what happened this last year, I do think it's going to happen, A, and I don't think it's a huge issue, B. Over to the man of steel. Cullen, what you got for us? Well, you're talking about restructuring the Saints' uh, capital, basically. I'm going to talk about the league's capital. I'm 24 years old, so the year I was born was 1999. Jeez. Yeah, I was, I was a 90s kid for eight days. <laughs> and that year, the salary cap was $57 million. 24, it's now $255 million. I, Is it just going to keep climbing? Could I see when I'm 50, would it be $400 million, $500 million? Where do we draw the line? Are the increases going to, you know, skyrocket, plummet? What's going to happen? You know, I mean, like last year, the increase was 60 million. The year before was 25 million. The year before was 15 million. And so what it was increased by each year, 30 is this year. And that's just insane to me. That is an unfathomable amount of money. But I do understand that the NFL's made an unfathomable amount of money (laughs) this year, too. So it's not insane. But where is that line in the sand? You remember back, like, you know, a few years ago when, like, a bunch of, like, bar owners in Luling or whatever were like, I'm not playing the football games. We're going to root. We're going to cut into their bottom line. 
This this league just keeps making money hand over fist. It's just hilarious to me. Uh, the yeah, there was like, that talk, obviously, when uh, <laughs> a lot of the stuff with uh, the political issues the NFL was dealing with, people were giving it up and not watching anymore, yet pre, it still rolls on. That was a pre-COVID thing. Everyone was like, gar, we're going we're gonna to stop watching football games. I don't know why I made a pirate accent there. But that year now with the yeah, $15 million, was, was that the COVID year? It only went up to $15 million? It actually went down. Went down, okay. It went down in 2021. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. So $255 million, and I know this isn't my triple option take, but <laughs> so – you know, the Saints bake in cap increases every year in terms of how they manage their cap. Like, that's part of the equation. And what you saw this year was actually kind of the opposite of 2021, where in 2021 it actually went down. And that's why you saw that year you had to cut Emmanuel Sanders, Denoris Jenkins. You actually had to cut people as opposed to this year where you actually have more space than you expected. So it's it's kind of interesting. It, it, it evened out. I think that's kind of why you saw this year increase the way it did because you saw that decrease in 2021, and this is kind of correcting for that. For me, guys, my take is I'm wondering, can this LSU men's basketball team close out the season strong enough to make the NCAA tournament? Uh, they just had huge wins over South Carolina, Kentucky, 14-12 and 12 on the season, 6-7 and seven on the conference, Five games left in the regular season. Obviously, the SEC tournament's still ahead as well. Uh, I'm just wondering, you know, with all the bracketology, can this Tiger team fight into the mix to make the NCAA tournament and avoid the NIT? Right now, they are ranked number 84 in the net. Okay. They have four quad one wins, three quad two losses. That's not good. That's not going to – you'd probably have to win out. And the the competition uh, on the way out isn't the greatest, but obviously that that's you know easier said than done to win five straight. You got Mississippi State, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Missouri. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's unlikely. Um, but if you won your final five games, then you would at least put yourself in the conversation. You'd be on the bubble. Yeah, no, yeah, first in, first out kind of deal. Right. Well, that's our triple option take. We're going to take a break. Be back with more sports talk right after this here on WWL. All you fishing out fans out there, where are the fish biting and where it's going on? You can find out from Don Dubuque, the outdoors legend who has spent decades fishing and hunting the woods, swamps, marshes, and bayous of southeast Louisiana. Catch Louisiana's great outdoors with Don Dubuque tomorrow and every Saturday morning, 5 a.m. to 7 on WWL. And if 5 a.m. is too early for you, like most of us on a Saturday, remember we podcast every episode. Listen at whatever time works for you or simply rewind at WWL.com or on the free Odyssey app. Coming up next hour, we're going to be joined by Jake Madison of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. The team has a matchup against the Miami Heat tonight. We have learned no Brandon Ingram, and uh, Zion Williamson is still a game-time decision. They're going to see how he feels during pregame warm-ups. Definitely going to need Zion in the mix tonight with no B.I. again. Uh, So we'll be back to talk more coming up. Top of the hour news. We'll be right back here on WWL. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.